welcome to the Modern Mamas Podcast. We are two modern mamas with a goal to inspire empowerment, self-love, deep physical and spiritual nourishment, holistic health, and joy, no matter your journey, gender, or perspective. I'm Laura of Radical Roots. I'm a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, and mama to Evie Wilder. And I'm Jess of Hold the Space Wellness. I'm a level one CrossFit trainer, a licensed and certified athletic trainer with a master's in kinesiology, and mama to Bear and Kindle. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We are so happy you're here. Hey guys, it is Jess today. Um, without my partner in crime, Laura, we have a very special guest with us today, um, Alana Haber from Grace and, and Enthused. I'm going to save the um, fancy bio for, for later, but I am so excited to have her on. She is literally one of my favorite people in um, social media world. She is legit the funniest, most sarcastic person I think I, I, think I know, like period. Um, and she just is going through motherhood with a lot of grace, a lot of candidness, and um, just a whole lot of sass. And she is here to answer a lot of listener questions, and we're just going to chat today because I feel like we're best friends already. Um, she doesn't know that, but we're, we're, we're basically BFFs. So I'm going to do a quick check-in. She's on mute, so she can't even say that we're not best friends. So we are. Um, I'm going to do a quick check-in. I'm just ram- I, I tend to ramble when I'm by myself, so you're just going to have to bear with me today. Um, check-in. Let's see. What's going on in my world? Um... Let's see, on the heels of last podcast, um, I did a solo episode with Michelle Carlson from Peace and Parenting, where we talked a lot about how to be a connected parent and how to kind of apply a lot of like the aware parenting concepts in a practical form, which is we get a lot of questions about, you know, I love aware parenting. I love what it stands for. I'm just not really sure how to like move forward with it or implement it in my daily life. And so that was really powerful. Um, a really power, powerful episode for me personally. And since then, been implementing special time with our kiddos, mostly with Bear, because he really, really, really um, desires it and asks for it, asks for it and needs it. And we've seen a lot of um, improvements already with him. And then I'm also, I'm going to keep you guys posted, but I found a, um, a program, I guess you would call it. It's called Generation Mindful. <clears throat> And it's basically, um, she's a P- she was a PT, or I think she still is a PT, but she kind of started this whole conscious, connected parenting movement as well. And she offers um, some online parenting courses and some toolkits, like um, just like there's games. All, her whole manifesto is about how to stay connected through play, um, through connection, through recognizing emotions and not kind of, we have a tendency for me personally to kind of try and shush emotions like especially ones that are upsetting or you know when a kid is upset your immediate response is to try and um you know comfort them but for the most part this whole program is about recognizing the emotion voicing them back to the kiddo and accepting them and working through it rather than kind of glossing over it so super powerful I can't wait to get all the things and report back to you guys but that's pretty much the only cool thing that's going on in my life um, besides just raising kids. So without further ado, that's my check-in. I'm going to introduce to you Elena today. 
Um, Elena is the blogger at Grays and Enthused, an allergy-friendly website providing healing recipes that fit the paleo and autoimmune protocol templates. She is also the author of the Healing Kitchen Cookbook, which I have, and it's amazing, as well as her new ebook, Enthused, which I also have. Um, she, those books are amazing. I highly recommend them. Elena is the mother to one's insanely cute daughter, Grace, and reversed her infertility diagnosis by healing her body and mindset. She has her master's degree in occupational therapy and practiced in the pediatric setting prior to becoming a full-time stay-at-home working mama. She is amazing. I've already said that. Um, today, we're going to talk about uh, pretty much everything from her personal health story to you know uh, autoimmune paleo to uh, parenting with AIP on an AIP protocol um, and everything in between. I mean, literally, there's like so many things I want to ask her that I just can't wait to dive in. So welcome. Hi, Jen. Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, I wish Laura was here too. So it's funny that you said I'm the most sarcastic person you might know because in high school, my senior year superlative was most outgoing, but I think it was just code for um, she won't shut up and <laughs> she has a lot of opinions. I love that. That's amazing. And it's putting that to use in adulthood. <laughs> you are. And you are bringing it, girl. You are, like I said before, you're one of my favorite people too. Your stories are amazing. Um, and I love how honest you are. And I hope you never stop being quote unquote outgoing. <laughs> <laughs> I love your stories too. I love your solo dance sessions. They always make me laugh. Thank you. And we've talked about this a little bit, but um, she's weird and I'm weird. So we're, we mutual weirdness together. So, <laughs> and did you hear that we're best friends? I did. <laughs> I was silently in agreement. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your Claire's necklace is in the mail. <laughs> Okay, so I'm sure we could chit-chat all day long, but let's jump in. We like to do an icebreaker question. Um, mine for you is, if you could be any profession in the world besides what you are currently, um, OT and full, full-time stay-at-home working mama, what would you be? Anything, like if you could do it all over again. So this hasn't even changed from the time I was like six years old, because it's what I wrote on my like first grade um, paper that we had to write, but a food and travel writer, I've always wanted to do that. Okay. And my first um, subscription to a magazine was Food and Wine when I was 15. And as soon as I got my first issue, I was like, I need to write for this magazine. And I went to school for that. Like that was my goal. I applied to all the big magazine publishing companies and nobody called me. So uh, defaulted to advertising account management okay. and then ended up in occupational therapy somehow. But <laughs> That is crazy. Oh, so I just can't imagine like a little six-year-old Elena thinking I want to be a food and travel writer. That's just like crazy. You like, and following through with it. That's amazing. Well, at least you're doing, you're doing food writing sort of. True. You, so True. you're I'm just, there. Yeah. I'm not in Bali. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. One day. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so l jumping in, I kind of just want to hear, I, I know because I follow you slash stalk you, but tell us a little bit about yourself, your story, you know, how you came to find this lifestyle and just your whole, your, your whole life basically go for the next hour. Okay. Um, <laughs> Well, I'm actually going to keep it pretty short because we have okay. like a very aggressive outline here. Yes, we do. With all the questions we got, <laughs> but I'll give you like a pretty good little re recap here. Okay. So I'm turning 30 this year, but I feel like I've been on this earth for a very long time. Right. Um, 
And I live in Florida with my husband, my daughter, Grace, who you can see on my Instagram, and my puppy. And gosh, my health journey really started closer to my, in college, to be quite honest. So that's when I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's at age 19 after I received the Gardasil vaccine. And within about a week, I had like a super high, like hallucination type fever. And I was on my couch with like a full body rash and I couldn't eat or drink. And I was singing to myself, like really scary stuff. And I was alone in college. My sister was like working all week. And I'm like, I might die on this like old brooms to go brown couch in Gainesville, Florida. Um, went to the emergency room. They told me you're fine. They sent me home. I uh, wasn't fine. Uh, a few days later, my mom like rushed me to the allergist cause she thought I was having like a food allergy reaction and tested negative for all my food, all the food allergies they tested me for, but they tested my thyroid. He's like, Oh wow. You're like thyroid is the size of a ping pong ball. That's why you can't breathe or eat or swallow. It's completely blocking your trachea. And you have an autoimmune disease called Hashimoto's. And I was like, well, what? Like I was perfectly healthy a week ago. What are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, I don't know where this came from, but this is a forever thing. Like, you're going to have the stress of your life. So to a 19-year-old who hears that, who went from, like, partying every night with her friends to an actual health crash at 19, it was very traumatic. Um, the most traumatic piece of it was I actually lost my period after that. So whether it just caused from the inflammation from the autoimmune disease or just an attack on my ovaries, we're not quite sure. But I wasn't able to menstruate for seven or eight years, um, following that diagnosis. Wow. And you had, and, had a perfectly normal period up until then. Oh yeah. Oh 28 days, like at 1 PM every four Tuesdays, I got my period. Wow. Yeah. That's so awesome. I went from like, yeah, super healthy to the exact opposite of that. Um, so I kind of went through college, like in survival mode. Um, I could go into all the details, but it's, it looks a lot like other people's diagnosis with Hashimoto's where you are really depressed and you gain weight and then you randomly will lose a ton of weight and your hair falls out and it, you're anxious. It's kind of all over the place type of thing. Um, and I went into advertising. That wasn't what was making me happy. And it was actually making my disease disease worse, which we can kind of get into in a different way later. But basically I wasn't living my best life. I wasn't fulfilling myself and it was making my autoimmune disease worse. So I quit that job around the same time as my very, very dear grandmother passed away. And then my other grandmother passed away 10 days after that. And then that sent me into the worst Hashimoto's flare I'd ever had, ever could imagine having, um, where I had some like really crazy allergic reactions to different foods and some insane out-of-body experiences. And it was very odd. Like, I can't even explain it. Whenever I explain it to somebody, they're like, what happened to you? I'm like, I don't, I'm not quite sure. I don't think you can really explain when the immune system goes haywire sometimes. So sorry to interrupt, but so for someone maybe who's not familiar with what a flare is or like a, mm -hmm. an AIP or an AI flare, um, is that typical? I mean, having all of those symptoms, is that what most people experience or was that very specific to you? That was pretty specific to me. I hadn't really met very many people with Hashimoto's that had had such a severe reaction where the thyroid does govern the body and the metabolism. So the symptoms can be very outreaching, but I'd also never heard of anybody whose legs went completely numb, who was laying in bed, couldn't move, was throwing up on themselves, like felt like they were literally out of their body. Like I would ha was having really severe reactions to food. Wow. Um, super afraid to eat anything. I lost like, oh my gosh, I'm only four foot 11 guys, super tiny girl. Um, I went from like uh, what for me is healthy, like 115 pounds, to, like 87 pounds <gasps> in a couple of months. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I remember looking on, like getting on the scale and being like, I'm wasting away. And I like look like an eight year old boy. I was like, Oh my goodness, what's going on? So I 
went to a gastroenterologist in Tampa, Florida. His name's Dr. Shepard. And he told me about this specific carbohydrate diet where after a few weeks of that, I somehow found the paleo diet on a blog somewhere online and then did paleo for a year. Um, and I got some healing from that. Like I had chronic back pain and headaches my entire life. And I used to complain about headaches every day when I was a child and stomach aches and chronic constipation. And my family just kind of was like, that's just you. Like, we're not concerned. (laughs) So we just never really had an answer for it. Um, But finally, we had an answer. It was gluten, which was kind of like my arch nemesis here was creating all these reactions as well as soy. So those are kind of like my two big food allergies that thankfully we found out I had. And so once I eliminated those, a lot of my symptoms went away. Um, But it wasn't until I found the autoimmune protocol, which is a very specific form of the paleo diet that is designed for people with autoimmune disease and chronic health um, issues and disorders and inflammation that eliminates even further foods from paleo, um, foods that stimulate the immune system like nightshades. um, So no grass for dairy, that type of thing. um, Even foods that can irritate the gut like nuts and seeds and coffee and chocolate. So it gets pretty specific and a little limiting, but I did find a lot of relief. So the most amount of relief from AIP. And I did that um, solid for a good year and started being able to reintroduce a lot more foods. And even now I reintroduce so many new foods, like every month I feel like I'm eating something new now. Right. So gut healing and autoimmune disease are super important. And that was kind of like my missing piece there. Um, So So through that all, did you, were you still even like healing through the the AIP, the protocol, were you still missing your period? Yeah. So this, this entire time I'm still like, well, I don't feel better because I'm not getting my period and I want to have a baby. And I received an infertility diagnosis during this time, which is really the most important part of my story. The one that is most monumental and my why for why I wanted to heal was because I wanted to have a baby. It wasn't because of Hashimoto's. It was solely so I could get pregnant and restore my reproductive system. So I, yeah, I went through a lot. I can't even get into yeah. it because it's so much, but I went through all the natural and all the conventional stuff to try and get my period back, but nothing was working. Um, eventually I went down the path of mindset shifts, like energy healing and that kind of thing. And that's when things kind of really started coming into play for me and things started mellowing out. My hormones came up. I was working with a functional medicine doctor to support my hormones through compounded progesterone, which for just four months, just being on compounded progesterone made such a huge difference in restoring my cycle. So I got my cycle four cycles later, I conceived my daughter and Mm -hmm. reversed a uh, pretty rare uh, infertility diagnosis called premature ovarian failure, which is essentially early menopause with an unknown cause, generally autoimmune cause um, of where the ovaries just shut down, like they're not making eggs anymore, or, you know, dropping eggs anymore. So I reversed that diagnosis through a lot of healing. And it wasn't just like people just go into AIP and they're like, we're just going to heal with these foods. Like once I heal my gut, everything's better. But a lot of people with autoimmune disease are type A. They are really hard on themselves. They're anxious people. They're worriers. And they, the AIP exacerbates those symptoms because they're not taking a second to themselves to sit down and reflect like, why Mm -hmm. am I always so high strong? Why is my cortisol always ramped up? And a lot of times people with AIP don't see relief just with the diet because they really need to bring in the mindset perspective and mindset piece. So that's like my big message usually on Instagram is like eat all the bone or drink all the bone broth you want. But if you are still running around like a chicken with your head cut off and yelling at your husband and feeling bad about yourself and you have a poor body image and you don't like what you're doing in your career and all this like negative stuff is just swirling around you, how can you expect yourself to actually heal. Mm -hmm. 
that's, we don't live in isolation. Like we are energy and we're in a world of energy. So we have to put out what we want to get back. Absolutely. And I think that's, I mean, you hit it on the, on the head with that. It's not just like I can eat perfectly and everything's going to be okay. We talk about that on the podcast all the time. It's, you know, sleep, it's, you know, appropriate movement for whatever your, your body is wanting to do. It's, it's everything. It's mindset. It's, it's all of it. And, uh, I think that's huge. So, and you, so let's jump in a little bit. You kind of talked about energy and I know to some people that might sound like a little woo woo, but I'm like fascinated with it. And I, I feel like, um, I kind of just want to, this is my own personal, this is a personal question, but you mentioned like being intuitive and like being a person who kind of like senses energy or works with energy. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and kind of maybe how it played into your healing process? Um, I feel I'm a, an, I feel like I'm an empath kind of. So I feel like emotional, like sensing emotional energy. And I'm just like super curious about how, like maybe when you first start started to feel like you had some sort of intuitive, you know, Ability. Ability. Yeah. yeah. I can't, can't talk today. Yeah. I've only had one yeah. cup of coffee. So the reason why you're so interested in it is because you have your own intuitive ability and you just probably haven't completely tapped into it. And I haven't completely tapped into mine either, but I've always had this sense since I was a really little girl that this wasn't just it. Like my life as a child, like that's what wasn't important. Like playing with toys wasn't important. Although I played with toys and I played with my friends, I always had the sense that there, I had a greater purpose and that people were here for a different reason than just what my, you know, what a typical five-year-old might be thinking. So, wow. It's like, yeah, starting at a young age, I was just really aware of people's energy. So I was able to detect, I remember this very strongly. I was able to detect when older men weren't safe to be around, whether that was because of like a potential sexual assault or they just were physically harmful or had the potential to be physically harmful. I very distinctly remember I could just look at a man and be like, don't go near him. Don't talk to him. Don't be in alone in a room with him. Like that was my first sign. Wow. Um, and I also would come in contact with, with, adu- it was usually adults. And I'd be like, that's not a good person. Like even at age three, I have this really distinct memory of a family, pen- a family member that was actually estranged from the family, but at the time she wasn't. And I remember being in her house and I was like two and a half or three years old. And I was like, I remember just seeing like a black cloud around her. I'm like, this person is toxic. This, this is a bad person. I don't want my mom near this person. Mm-hmm. And it like, as I grew up, I learned that, yes, this was true about that person. So I had some affirmations as a young kid that made me feel like, okay, this isn't in my head type of thing. Right. But like you, like the whole empath thing, I, I was very unusual at like around age five or six, I started waking up super early around five o'clock and watching the morning local news. And I was obsessed with finding out like what happened to people the day prior. And so I could kind of think about them and put myself in their shoes. Mm -hmm. And it was a little odd. Like most kids are watching cartoons and I'm like, what, like who died in a car accident yesterday? (laughs) Like that's really where like my head was always at. What is your parents? Did they ever like say anything about that or were they just like, that's Elena? Like that's yeah, just who she is. Totally. Okay. Yeah. They totally didn't. My mom, like she kind of gets it now. My dad is so like, not, this isn't even on his radar. So it wouldn't even occur to him to feel like that even currently. Right. But yeah. So a lot of the times, like if a child's an intuitive and an empath, a lot of people will describe them as old souls. Mm-hmm. So grace to me, like I can tell she's an old soul. She's been here before. Um, 
it's likely that like people have had a lot of past lives. And if you mm-hmm. haven't done past life work and even a year ago, I hadn't done past life work. I was like, are you kidding me? That sounds like such S H I T. That sounds like <laughs> that's not a thing. Like yeah. you need to like stop your, stop your wine intake because you're just hallucinating <laughs> at this point. You cray. <laughs> but when I was a kid, I used to have all these um, intuitions about like myself in different countries and myself as a different person. I'd have these really strong visions. Mm-hmm. And I think those were honestly my past lives. So yeah, I just have been on this earth and just felt like I've been here for a long time and that I know people really well after just a few minutes of being with them. Mm-hmm. Or I can kind of look across the room and look at somebody and I know like I can give you like the talking points of their childhood mm-hmm. or um, maybe what's going inside inside their head right now or inside their body right now that they need to pay a little bit more attention to. Mm -hmm. So that's only something that in my very recent adult life, I've been able to acknowledge and tap into. And Reiki really, really helped me do that. So I got my level one practitioner um, and I'm going for my level level two really, really soon. But ever since I did my level one is when I was really able to start really tapping into this and not questioning it so much. And so so many of us have that ability. And I particularly think that people with autoimmune disease have that ability. That's so interesting. Cause if you think about it, just in terms of autoimmune being like a sensitive state, you know, very susceptible to, you know, being, I guess to foods or whatever, like energy and stress. And, um, you just also in, in other ways being susceptible to energy and feelings and emotions. Like I, I can see the, the, the link there. Yeah. And I think bringing it back to parenthood, because we have so many moms and dads that listen to this podcast is a lot of us have children who are really intuitive and we kind of brush it aside. Like, Oh, that's a weird thing to say. Like, Oh, he's just being silly, Mm -hmm. but kids aren't yet tainted. Like they're not thinking, Oh, I shouldn't say this out loud. That sounds weird. Or, Oh, it may sound like I'm making this up. Like they're telling us the truth. They're telling us like what comes into them and they're giving us all their energy. That's why conscious parenting and aware parenting so amazing is because we're not blocking their energy. We're letting them feel and express what they need to feel and express and get that out instead of bottling it up inside where it could maybe in the future turn into something like an autoimmune disease or a behavioral disorder or something like that. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. Whenever I read about aware parenting, I always get a really strong sense that it's based in intuition and allowing people to be free with their feelings. Right. Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. Um, I could talk more about that all, like literally we could talk about that the whole podcast, but let's kind of segue in since you've opened up that path to autoimmune disease and and all that. Not, I mean, that's the stuff that's like the meat of your experience. Um, Tell us, I guess a lot of the listeners want to know, how do you deal with flares? Um, Does pregnancy cause flares? They want to know about postpartum flares. Um, Basically, you know, everything that you can tell us about how you have dealt with that, especially around the motherhood transition. Yeah. So autoimmune disease, um, the risk is extremely high for women versus men. Um, they think that likely that has to do with our hormones, especially around pu- so times of hormonal change, like puberty, pregnancy, postpartum, menopause. Those are the time points in somebody's life that you see the most likelihood of either an autoimmune flare or a new autoimmune diagnosis. So those are the times in a woman's life that we need to be really aware of new symptoms that pop up and not to just brush something aside like fatigue and hair loss and just say, oh, that's just postpartum because that could very well be postpartum thyroiditis or even a true Hashimoto's autoimmune thyroiditis diagnosis. So 
with, um, with pregnancy, it's interesting because the immune system, the, our immune system doesn't want to attack our baby. Mm-hmm. And what the immune system's job is to do is to recognize foreign invaders and target them and then attack them and kill them. So instead of doing that to our precious babies, our immune system has learned to kind of downregulate itself so that it's not on the hunt for the fetus, essentially. So that's why, um, gosh, I can't think of the, I didn't have to get the shot. Is it, God, I keep wanting to call it Rogan. Rogan? No. That's... Oh, uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Blood type stuff. Blood yes. type. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> neither we are on our game. <laughs> and I'm not going to Google that right now. So you guys can just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> Rogan. I'm going to call so, it. Oh, yeah. Our bodies want to protect our babies and our immune systems downregulate to help with that. But once we have our babies, our immune system goes, whoa, switch back on. We're in business. Let's go. So it ramps itself up. And for a lot of people, it can kind of just swing in the opposite direction where it's like, okay, what are we going to target? Oftentimes, for whatever reason, the thyroid is the number one organ or tissue that is targeted by the immune system. So Hashimoto's makes up the large majority of autoimmune diagnoses. Um, There's hundreds and hundreds of autoimmune diseases, but Hashimoto's by and large is the most common one. And it's also the most common one postpartum by far, too. So what is that characterized by, like a true Hashimoto's? So Hashimoto's, it's um, autoimmune hypothyroidism. And a lot of people say, oh, I'm hypothyroid. I'm like, well, are you on medicine? They're like, no. I'm like, well, you need to be getting your blood work checked. And you also need to be getting your thyroid antibodies checked so you can diagnose whether that is autoimmune or whether it's caused by something like adrenal fatigue. Mm -hmm. And for the majority of people, if you're hypothyroid, you're very likely to have Hashimoto's. It's somewhere between 80 to 90% of people who are given the hypothyroid diagnosis from their doctors actually have Hashimoto's. Yet a lot of medical practitioners are not going to test you for your TPO antibodies and your thyroglobulin antibodies. And those are two really important blood tests to get. I think that should be a blanket test for all postpartum women by the time they're six months postpartum is test a full thyroid panel, which includes TSH, free T3, free T4, reverse T3, TPO antibodies, and antithyroglobulin antibodies. Um, Just to I mean, we can't prevent this from happening. We can't prevent Hashimoto's really, uh, especially postpartum when your immune system's going a little haywire. But we can at least discover it early enough that you can get medication treatment and maybe make some dietary or lifestyle changes if you need to. And I know you're not a doctor. We've We've discussed that before, even though you're very knowledgeable. But how would you say, like, if someone is, you know, postpartum and they're feeling fatigued and they're, you know, hair loss, which is, like you said, very common postpartum not even having like an autoimmune condition, what would be kind of a a signal that maybe this is a little bit more than just normal? So so the thyroid governs the metabolism. So anything in your body that could possibly slow down and break down, it's going to do. So that means slow digestion, which means constipation, gas and bloating. That means slow thinking, which means brain fog, uh, poor memory, inability to recall words, that kind of thing. Um, and it's not just like a lot of people are like, Oh, I'm tired. And Mm -hmm. tired is something different from fatigue. Once you have fatigue caused by something like chronic fatigue syndrome or autoimmune disease and Hashimoto's, you're like, Oh, there's such a difference between being tired and being fatigued. Fatigued is I can't physically walk up these stairs. My legs won't let me like my muscles are not firing. Tired is I'd like to take a nap. Yeah. And there's a big difference between the two and recognizing your bot that those differences in your body is really important. Um, also if you 
seem to be reacting to more foods postpartum or you seem to be getting rashes or um, your fingernails are breaking off, your hair is breaking off, your skin seems dry, uh, you have eczema all of a sudden, something like that. Those are signs that your thyroid may not be working. Uh-oh. I'm like yeah. uh, uh, scratching my head. <laughs> okay. uh, I think you just diagnosed me with something. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, it's also winter, so you could have dry skin. Well, and mine has, has improved and it was actually in the initial, maybe like six, it was actually up until I stopped nursing, which is about 15 months um, with Camille, but I got it both times postpartum. It's called dishydrotic eczema. And so oh, I, I don't, have you heard of it before? Yeah, I have. Yeah. So like all over my hands were these like tiny little bumps and I'll have occasional flares, but they've pretty much gone away since I stopped nursing. Um, yeah. but I like, I could not hammer down a food. I could not figure out why, like my products are all like really super safe and all this stuff. And among some other things that you mentioned, it just sounds like I probably should have dug into that a little bit more. Probably still I mean, that, yeah, it could be, uh, separate from Hashimoto's for sure. You could just, eczema does have autoimmune origins. I don't think it's quite classified as an autoimmune disease yet, but because your immune system swung back over and is upregulating postpartum, then it makes sense that you would have flares with that type of eczema both after both pregnancies. Yeah, that is so interesting. Yeah. And, and then, it's hard to avoid. It is like yeah. everyone's like, oh, like, how do you avoid a flare postpartum? It can be hard. Like you can do all the right things, but it can still happen. And don't beat yourself up over it. You're just going to have to truck through that flare and work with a really qualified medical team. Eat well, decrease stress as much as possible. That is like the number one thing for autoimmune disease and flares is if you're still stressed, you're not going to, you're not going to get out of that flare. Right. And I mean, I know postpartum, it's like, there are a lot of things you can't really control. And you've shared a little bit about this on your Instagram stories and stuff. I know with sleep and, um, all of that, that stuff, like it's not, you can't control how much sleep you're getting to a certain extent. I mean, there are things you can do to go to bed early and blue light blocking and, you know, trying to protect the that schedule as much as you can, but baby's going to wake up, you know, when they're going to wake up and there are a lot of things you're going to have to work through in that regards. But you always talk about, you know, trying to preserve sleep when you can. And then also you are really big on like adjusting your activities and self-care and all of that stuff. So can you speak a little bit to that point? Like what are some specific things that you do now postpartum to really protect yourself? I guess. Yeah. So basically from day one, I told my husband, like, listen, like I have an autoimmune disease. I'm postpartum. I'm breastfeeding. My hormones are a little wonky. I need sleep. And like, we need to do whatever we can in this household to make sure that I'm getting my sleep. And if that means your sleep suffers a little bit, I need you to take that hit for me because you do not have an autoimmune disease and sleep doesn't affect you the same way. You get tired, but you don't get fatigued. Um, so he understood that he's seen me suffer through some like pretty gnarly flares. So he was like, I get it. Like, he still complains about his lack of sleep, but he gets it now. Um, so I would like reach out to people at people with autoimmune disease. They tend to not tell others that they have it, or they tend to kind of hide their symptoms or not really tell somebody like, no, this is how serious it is. Like, this is how much I need your help. So get out of that mindset of wanting to protect yourself and wanting to be like super mom and being like, I got this. Like, nobody needs to worry about me. Let's just worry about the baby. Like, no, let people worry about you. Let people take care of you. Um, it's that type A thing with autoimmune disease. We don't like when people tell us what to do. We don't like um, when people help us. We definitely don't like to ask for help. Mm -hmm. So those are just personality traits you're going to have to rewire and be okay with letting go of. 
Right. And then you also mentioned during pregnancy, and I have a friend with MS and she's wonderful. She's rock star. But like during both of her pregnancies, it was like the best health wise that she Mm -hmm. ever felt. Um, And you had mentioned in passing that pregnancy, like the autoimmune kind of down regulates, I guess. And so did you feel, is that pretty typical for most people? Like, did you just feel like you're healthiest when you're pregnant? Oh, for sure. I actually got pregnant during a really bad flare and I was running the healing kitchen. I was also working, um, 60 hours a week at a hospital, a children's hospital and, uh, finishing my research paper for my master's program. So I was like, not in a like relaxed, chilled out state when I got pregnant, but thankfully all that kind of came to a close around my first trimester. And my first trimester was rough. I had like the typical first trimester of morning sickness, nausea, Mm -hmm. and like vomiting up all the chocolate chip cookies that I could eat. Um, (laughs) Because that's all I wanted to eat, right. chocolate chip cookies, dried mango, and, like, oranges. Like, all the carbs. <laughs> all the carbs. Um, so, yeah. So, by the second trimester, it was around, I want to say, like, 17 weeks. I just got this big burst of energy, and all of my symptoms went away. I had actually started my pregnancy probably about 25 pounds overweight because of that autoimmune flare with Hashimoto's had caused me to gain a bunch of weight in, in the three-month time period. And during pregnancy, I lost all of that weight and then some. So even though I was growing a baby and my placenta was getting really big and I had all this extra blood going in my body, I ended my pregnancy. um, Like when she came out of me, I was like, I think it was something like 15 pounds less than when I even got pregnant. So that's how much my immune system was able to calm down and let my body like just be at like a stable homeostatic state. Um, So most women with autoimmune disease will see uh, like a remission of their disease. So my antibodies at the time of conception were like 180, which is really high. Um, right after I gave birth, there was zero. So we tested them right after I gave birth and they were zero. So they, I went into complete remission. It didn't mean look like I had Hashimoto's on paper. Did you have to do anything medically like, um, throughout your pregnancy in terms of like, I'm, you can totally tell me to shut up. This is getting too personal, (laughs) but like in terms of managing your, your, condition like did you have to take any medication or was it totally just naturally did you manage it um no so I've never um naturally managed Hashimoto's like I have to be on thyroid medicine because the initial attack on my thyroid was so much that it killed enough of the thyroid and enough of the cells that those don't regenerate for the thyroid and those are our receptor sites um for your hormone from your pituitary so if they're dead, they're not going to be making T3 and T4 and you're going to be deficient in those. So most people with Hashimoto's do need to be on medication, either Synthroid, um, Tyrosint, Nature Throid, uh, like there's so you have your synthetics and then you have your, your like porcine thyroid. So people kind of have to find like which one works best for them. And then during pregnancy, I do have a post on my blog that's really, really in depth. Uh, it's called how I managed Hashimoto's during pregnancy. And it's all about my medication schedule, how often I tested my blood work, um, who I went for to see my blood work and how I really stayed on top of it and how I was like a big advocate for myself, which every woman pregnant or not needs to be, especially if they have thyroid disease, because in America we're very uneducated on thyroid disease Mm -hmm. and, I could go on a rampage about endocrinologists, but I won't. But if you have if you have Hashimoto's or you suspect you have Hashimoto's and you're going to an endocrinologist and you're like hitting your head on the wall because you're so frustrated with them, fire your endocrinologist and go find somebody else who will actually give you a full thyroid panel and who listens to you and who bases your medication dosage on your symptoms and not your blood work, which is a 
very poor standard um, for lab ranges. So that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> gotcha. And we'll link to that article, um, that blog post in the show notes if people, because yeah, I'm sure a lot of people who are listening are kind of in the same boat and want to know, maybe they're trying to plan to conceive or, you know, just thinking about it in the future. And so I feel like that is just gold in terms of helping guide people in the same boat. So we'll definitely link to that. Um, and then we've kind of touched a little bit on, on these topics, but let me know if you want to dive more into the elevated cortisol estrogen dominance, um, versus like the low cortisol late stage adrenal fatigue questions that you, that you got. Yeah. I don't even remember what those questions were. I, so I struggle with estrogen dominance and okay. elevated cortisol, and they do tend to be comorbid with Hashimoto's. So maybe that's where we got like that outline point. But um, that's something that a lot of people will contact me. They're like, oh, I think I have estrogen dominance or I think I have adrenal fatigue. And I'm like, well, are you working with a practitioner? They're like, no. And I'm like, well, you need to be working with yeah. a if you can afford a functional medicine practitioner. I save up for like a year to go see one, honestly. Like right. they're expensive. They, I wish they weren't as expensive, but until insurance recognizes them and approves their diagnostic codes, we have to pay out of pocket for them. Absolutely. So, yeah. And you're doing, I saw, I think it was this morning, you're doing um, the Dutch Dutch testing, right? For yourself? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, the first time I'm doing it, have you done it? No, I haven't, but I'm, I'm, I, I, we had, um, uh, I cannot think right now. Um, Zesty Ginger. We oh, had, yeah. yeah, we had her on one of our first podcast episodes and we were talking about like her healthy hormones group and about Dutch testing. So it's been on my radar since then. Um, but I've never done it. So tell us a little bit about that and kind of how it plays into your whole, I guess, healing and what your plan is now postpartum with healing. Yeah. So the Dutch test, if you do the full test, you are peeing on a piece of paper five times over a 24 hour period. You have to like severely dehydrate yourself. And I have a fear of being dehydrated, like Castaway, that movie with Tom Hanks, mm -hmm. that is like my personal hell. Like <laughs> I... I can't, I can't even be without my water bottle. I start to get panicked for right. whatever reason. I don't know why, but yeah, this test, I had to redo it twice because I can't dehydrate myself. They're like, no, you need to stop drinking water. And I'm like, I can't. <laughs> they're like, you need to. <laughs> it's not funny at all, but like, that, it's hilarious. Yeah. But I'm like, that's how stubborn I am. I'm like, no, just, <laughs> just take my diluted urine and run the test. Darn it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's like super comprehensive. I'm not going to understand re the results when they come back, but it even goes into like estrogen metabolism. So it'll tell you like your estrogen pathway. And if you have estrogen, that is more likely to cause cancers like ovarian cancer and breast cancer, um, cancers that are more linked to, um, estrogen dominance with these certain estrogen metabolites. It goes into adrenal fatigue, like how your cortisol is doing, how your DHEA is doing, um, estrogen progesterone. So let's say, your estrogen dominant, that may mean that you're, you have low progesterone and you're trying to get pregnant and you've been trying for months and months and months and you don't know what's going on. Maybe do the Dutch test and see, maybe I'm working with low progesterone here yeah. and that's causing estrogen dominance. And that's why I'm not conceiving. And it could be an easy fix. Like what I did was the compounded progesterone and that seemed to really kickstart my system. Um, or it may be that you really need to chill out. And the reason why you have low progesterone is because you're starting that stress cascade way at the tippy top of the hormone cascade and you are just under eating, over exercising, or just being super stressed all the time. And your hormones are like, we're going to take a break because I don't want you to have a baby right now. You, you need to chill. Right. So yeah, it can tell you a lot. Yeah. And so do you have to have that ordered by a functional, functional med practitioner or can you order the test 
but you would then therefore need someone to interpret it or how does that work? Um, I'm not quite sure. I, it seems that you would need a physician to sign the requisite form. So I do think you probably need to work with a physician, but you could go to like an online functional medicine doctor, or maybe even an NTP who signs with a functional medicine doctor and you would, she would, your NTP would be the one that interprets the results for you. Gotcha. Yeah. There's, I think there's a few ways. Okay. Awesome. That's a lot of good information. Um, I definitely am going to look into it. So moving on a little bit, and you touched on this again, and you do share a lot on Instagram, but for the people that maybe haven't been following along with you, how do you personally focus on stress management and mindset work? What do you do for yourself that helps you kind of manage all that, that stress hormone cascade and everything that you've been talking about? Yeah. So that was a complete rewiring of my personality and brain to not be the person that's like, I'm going to get my entire to-do list done and I'm going to make that to-do mm-hmm. list 20 items long today and I'm going to do all of it. And I'm not, not even going to stop and pee or eat or talk to anybody or go out with my friends. Cause I just want to do my to-do list mm-hmm. that I, I'm not that person anymore. I'm like, we have one thing on our to-do list. And if we get that thing done, great. If we don't, then, Hey, I'm still going to sleep at eight o'clock. <laughs> How hard was that though? Cause I'm sitting here, I've gotten a lot better too. I've been working on it purposefully, but like, I still get caught up in that. Like, Ooh, oh my God, I need to get everything done. How hard was that for you? How long did it, it was, take? Yeah, it was hard. It took like four or five years probably for me to really go from like an anxious mess that nobody wanted to be around mm-hmm. to the person I am today. Um, and I think watching myself go through some really hard times with my health is what was like, I cannot go back to that place. And what brings me back to that place is that stressed out type A mentality. And I do not want to be that person anymore. And frankly, I don't like being around people that are like that. Like my, if my friends start acting like that, I'm like, let's do time out. Like, let's go, let's go grab some wine. And I know people are like, Oh, you shouldn't go to like wine. If you're sure. I love it. (laughs) I like wine type a stressed out freak. And I love my wine and I don't care what anybody has to say about it. So keep your opinions to yourself. (laughs) Was that something though? So you love wine now. Did you have to cut it out through the, through AIP and then reintroduce it? Yeah, I did. And I used to, Oh my God, just, I was down to like 10 foods at some, at one point oh I was eating gosh. this disgusting meal. And if anybody out there eats something like this and has to, cause they have food allergies, I'm so sorry. Steamed butternut squash, mo- grossest squash on the planet <laughs> with some sea salt, MCT oil, and some plain poached chicken breast. Like that oh. was and with some rosemary on top. Like those were like my foods that I could tolerate. <laughs> and I'm like, we're going to throw some rosemary and lemon juice on there for some flavor. <laughs> So do you have PTSD about butternut squashed out? Or yeah, can you eat it? I hate it. You're like, <laughs> oh, God, there's two butternut squash recipes on my website because I hate it so much. Yeah, total PTSD. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is hilarious. And I've been but... going to therapy. <laughs> because of the whole We're doing exposure butter... therapy where she just holds a gourd in front of my face <laughs> and I don't cry. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, at least wine is now back in the picture. Oh, so. oh yeah. <laughs> it's always in the fridge. <laughs> and chocolate. Can you do chocolate or is it oh. – Always in, always in the pantry. Okay, good. Yeah, I am not, I used to be, and we haven't even touched on this, but when I was like a stressed out freak, I was an uh, like chronic under eater over exerciser, Mm -hmm. um, which was also why I had such low body fat and wasn't making enough hormones that like definitely played into it for sure. Um, and now I'm like, don't care. Give me all the chocolate. Give me all the wine. I truly just want to live life and enjoy life and enjoy my food and be with my friends and go to happy hour with my friends and keep within my limits. Like I know I don't do well with gluten. I know I can't have nightshades and I can't do a bunch of dairy and eggs like are a hit or a miss with me. So I kind of stay away from those foods 
but everything else, like after doing all the healing with the autoimmune protocol and also healing my mindset, I've been able to reintroduce so many foods and I'm finally starting to feel like the old Elena, which I think anybody who's gone through a health struggle is like, that's all I want to do is I just want to feel like myself. Right. That's amazing and and so powerful. And I, again, I follow along with you through Instagram and I know kind of touching again on the stress management stuff, like, and I feel like you have what you're saying, like the over or the under eating and the over exercising and the type A is not just, I mean, that's so many women these days Mm -hmm. um, that they can really understand that we get a lot of questions about you know, and even Laura, she's not here today, but she's gone through this, like having lost her period for a long period of time. And she didn't necessarily wasn't diagnosed with an um, autoimmune disease or anything like that. But we're talking about this like group of mentalities that causes you to get really super duper lean or, you know, we have a lot of CrossFitters that listen to the podcast too. And like, they come to us asking, like, I want to start having, I want to think about having a baby, but I don't have a period. And it's all, it's this conversation um, that, you know, we, we sometimes have with them or encourage them to follow up with a, a provider, but you're not, you can't, it, it's what you said. It's like you, your hormones kind of sh- stop working. You don't have enough body fat to support regular hormone regulation. So you've got to start thinking about what's important. Um, and not to say like, I, we never want to say like, you got to stop crossfitting or whatever, but you just have to kind of shift your goals um, because your body does will not allow you to support another life, you know, if you aren't in a certain kind of like homeostasis or a certain balance. I'm getting off topic a little bit here, but it all goes to like stress management and all those, those under eating overtraining type, you know, I went through it too. I went through it too. Yeah. And it's 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 celebrated. If you go on Instagram, like when my explore function shows me like the typical, like fitness Instagrammer who's like super, super lean and like doing like 20 pull-ups and has a six pack. And I'm like, I, there's a good chance that person doesn't get their period, but they're not telling you Mm -hmm. that. And I, that's like a main sign of women's health. Like I want to, I don't care what I weigh. If I'm getting my period and I'm able to have a baby and sustain my baby and be able to breastfeed my baby, that's, that makes me truly happy being a size zero and being able to do 20 pull-ups does not make me happy. And when you're on your deathbed, are you really going to be like, Oh, Oh, that hero workout or whatever you cross it. People say, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad I did that and experienced that. Oh, that was totally worth, you know, not going to my friend's birthday dinner that night. No. Yeah. Like we have to, we're just, our society is so mixed up on priorities and we're just, we're all confused. We are. Yeah. All confused. It's, it's absolutely true. And I, that's why we do the podcast, honestly, is just to kind of talk about those things and not necessarily, it's not about shaming people that are in that place right now. It's about bringing kind of awareness. Like maybe they don't even realize that that's something that they, it's on their radar or anything like that. And so that's why we talk about these topics. It's because if we reach a couple of people that are like, oh my gosh, yeah, like, that's totally, I feel that way, then we cause them to kind of empower themselves to research and kind of figure out what's right for them, then, then we've done our job. So anyways, that's a, that's a tangent kind of. Well, no, no, that's a really, gosh, I think that tangent probably touches on more people than anything else we've been talking about because it just affects so many people. And I was so in that space where I probably had to listen to like hundreds of self-love body image podcasts 
like all of them until it finally clicked. Like it was mm-hmm. never just that first one. The first one was like, ugh, I don't like what you're saying. Like, yeah. don't even tell me to, don't mean tell me to gain weight. Like, I hate yeah. you for saying that. And the next one, I'm like, why did somebody else just say that to me? And the next one, it's like, oh, well, maybe this is why I'm not being able to get pregnant. And then the next one, it's like, maybe this is why I'm anxious too. And why do I, why am I addicted to exercise? And why do I eyeball all my food and try and calculate the calories in my head? Like that's not healthy. So it, it was an exposure thing. Like it wasn't just right away. So we might be reaching people who are just not ready to hear it right now. But if they listen to this podcast again in three months or three years, then they're like, Oh, it clicks. Like Mm -hmm. I get it. Like I get what they're talking about. Yeah, totally. Um, and so now I want to switch gears a little bit. I mean, it's still, it's all very, it's all very interwoven because I know you talk about this a lot, like how you want to, I guess, portray yourself to grace and show her how to self-love, take care of herself and, you know, not be that person that you were so many years ago. And so let's talk about parenting, which is one of my favorite topics to talk about, but no um, way. <laughs> really? I have a podcast dedicated you to do? it. <laughs> uh, but, it yeah, you're on it. Surprise. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about parenting during, I mean, there's so many, so many, so many good questions here, but talk about, you said you did have a postpartum flare, correct? Mm-hmm. So talk to us about parenting during flare. So people that are going through that same, situation how did you navigate that oh that's so hard um honestly like what we were talking about earlier which is leaning on others so I leaned on my husband significantly um to the point where he's probably like stop asking me for help but I'm like I'm not gonna stop asking I Mm -hmm. truly need your help so much and thank you I thank him every single time he helps me thank you Mm -hmm. so much for putting the dishes away so that I could get to bed early um it's really about just, I say, I say no a lot to not necessarily social stuff. Cause I'm really social. I love to say yes to all the social invites that I get, <laughs> but more professional stuff. So if somebody's like, Hey, will you work on this ebook with me? I'm like, no, will you do this program with me? No. Cause I can predict like, wow, that's going to take up 10 more hours of my week. And that's 10 more hours. I have less to spend time with grace or to relax or to sleep. So I am very much self-protection mode and instead of I focus on her like way too much, not way too much, but I'm definitely the mom that's like, everything's for you. I'm all about you. Like from the moment I wake up, I'm thinking about you from the moment I fall asleep. I'm thinking about you and your needs and how I can be the best mom I can to you. I'm a hundred percent. Like all of us moms are like that. But at the same time, I've also had to learn to be like, don't forget about you, Elena. Like you need to, what, what are your needs right now? So I check in with myself in the morning. I lay in bed right when I wake up and I put my hands on my abdomen. For some reason, my hands always want to go to my lower belly, probably some sort of chakra thing, like an imbalance yeah. there. And I just kind of feel like what's going on in my body today. Like, am I anxious? So this morning I woke up and I was really worried about my friend's baby. So I like ran to my phone right after I did this. But for a second, I was like, it's going to be okay. Um, she's going to be okay. Like you're going to be able to provide support and that's all you can do. So I'm kind of like talking myself, like I would talk to a friend. So mm-hmm. I'll do that in bed. Um, I'll look at myself in the mirror. If I feel like I'm just like losing it that day, I look at myself in the mirror and the words that come out of my mouth are exactly what I would say to my friend going through the same situation. And then I take a breath of fresh air and a deep breath. And I'm like, Whoa, that worked. Like I feel yeah. so much better. Cause I just got that validation from somebody else, even though it was me, it was like my inner inner person. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, they're not like super tangible things that I do to parent during flares. It's just kind of 
doing a lot of self-reflection and identifying within myself, like where are my needs right now and how can I have somebody else fill those needs where it's not just on me all the time. Right. And Grace is super active um, from what I've seen. And so you talk about a flare as being like, you literally don't have the energy to like get out of bed. Was that something that, I mean, how Um, did you... Well, I haven't had any of those, thankfully, postpartum, okay. so I don't have experience with that. So that that's really tough for any women that have to go through that. And I know a lot of women, actually, that have to go through some really, really difficult times postpartum where they can't get out of bed and see their kids for a week. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't even know if I have advice other than, like, you just have to somehow see the positivity in that and know that each day you're getting in some way closer and closer to feeling better and restoring your just – your ability to live your life with as much meaning and purpose as you want to. Right. It's hard. It's really hard. But when you have autoimmune disease, you do, you don't become immune, like no pun intended. You don't become immune to flares, but you do kind of get your own arsenal of ways to deal with. And it's different for everybody. Right. Right. And so you, I mean, you're like an amazing mother. Not that, I mean, everyone that's, everyone's an amazing mother too certain extent, but you really seem to be kind of embracing this role. And, um, my question to you is, you know, I struggle, I'm just like picking your brain for my personal purposes, but like, I struggle sometimes with like my own emotions. And this is something that we've, I've had to work through, you know, extensively on my own, but like anger or like getting frustrated or, you know, I don't, I can't describe it. It's, just life with the toddler in general, where they're trying to figure out their independence and asserting themselves. And it doesn't necessarily line up with what you want them to do. So have you ever, cause you seem like you are just like rocking it and then there's never like any sort of conflict there. I'm assuming there is. Okay. But how oh, yeah. do you, She's how do you, 20 months? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how do you personally kind of navigate those, your own reactions and the things that you've kind of built up with for years and years of being on this earth, like to combat that and not let that affect grace in terms of your parenting? So as long as I'm taking care of myself and giving myself as much space as I need, whether that's just an hour a day at the gym or going for a walk on the beach by myself for an hour, as long as I'm doing that, I'm not at that point where I'm getting um, resentful towards her for not listening or for being a toddler. Um, I'm not getting angry because of that. So I think that's a sign that like, you need to, you need to step away. Like you need more help Mm -hmm. Um, and you need to have a little bit more time to go do something for yourself. And I really think because you're an amazing, like we're all amazing moms. Um, but if we don't get to take care of ourselves, it's really hard to perform that way. It's hard to show our love when on the inside, we're almost like little tangled messes of like, just get me out of this house. I need to be by myself. I need my brain to myself. I need my body to myself. I don't want to cook dinner for five people today. Right. Like it's, it's hard. So like, that is such a thing of just recognizing your needs and not being afraid to ask the other people in your house to help you fulfill those needs. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something that I've definitely, am, I'm speaking from my own personal experience, gotten better at. And Tim, he, he's been on the podcast, but we very much rely on each other. And I, I think I'm just saying this out loud to reiterate that, to reiterate it to listeners who are maybe like in the same boat, like really heavily rely on your support system and ask for the things you need. It's like that in our episode with Tim and I, we talked about communication about how, you know, if I need him to take the trash out or cook dinner or bathe the kids tonight, 
I ask him to do it and it's not any sort of, it's not like a resentful thing or anything like that. And I think kind of the message that you're relaying is just ask for what you need and don't be afraid to take the time for yourself. And I feel like a lot of moms just, just almost just can't do it. You know what I mean? Like they really, really, really struggle with having to quote unquote do it all. And so regardless of if you have autoimmune or you're, you're healthy as ever, you still need to, to be able to, to do that for yourself. Totally. Yeah. And it's going to be different for everybody. Like some people, like I have a very innate need to socialize with my girlfriends. So if that hasn't happened in a few weeks, that's when I start feeling like I'm not being as patient of a mom and understanding of a mom as I want to be. So I catch myself in the best thing about aware parenting that it's given me is the ability to recognize that immediately. Like, whoa, I did not respond to her with enough respect. And I would certainly not want somebody to respond to me that way. Mm -hmm. So I erase it. Like I, it's like a cancel clear, like, okay, that was one. I'm not going to let that snowball into something else. So I go to her and I apologize for what I said, or if I didn't respond quick enough to her, or I didn't respond with enough compassion, I respond to, um, I go to her, I apologize and tell her why I'm sorry. And then, um, I say, would you like a hug? And then she usually comes to me and gives me a hug. And then it's like, we're on a blank slate again. Um, so I think it's so amazing. Like once you really are in tune with your kids and you're giving them what they need and you're giving yourself what you need, things just do kind of fall into Mm -hmm. place. Not every day, of course, but things start to feel like the ebbs and flows are just smaller peaks. Right. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. So I know we have a few more questions that people are probably dying to hear about like actual, the physical part of parenting, like feeding your child and all of that good stuff. Um, I love the mental aspect of it too. I could dive into that forever, but talk to us about how, and how old is Grace now? You say 18, 19 months? Uh, 20, 20 20 or 21. I can't remember. (laughs) How dare you not know exactly. (laughs) I stopped at 20. I was like, I can't count anymore. (laughs) Um, But tell us about how you initially introduced solids um, to Grace. Kind of what was your general flow? Did you rely on any books or programs or did you just kind of go by intuition? And I kind of am curious to know, because you have autoimmune, did you kind of tailor your introduction of solids to maybe assume that she might have some reactions? Yes. So yeah, I'll talk about that first. So yes, um, she was actually on an AIP protocol um, for like the first, I want to say six months. And then we did try things like eggs and stuff like that in that time, but she still has yet to ever have a nightshade and she's been eating solids for over a year now. So, um, I still don't do nightshades with her. Those are immune stimulants. Interestingly enough, super new, super nutrition for babies is the book that I recommend to everybody who's like, how do I start feeding my baby? I love that book. It's Mm -hmm. really easy to read. They have, um, tons and tons of recipes in there. It's Weston A. Price. So it's not paleo or autoimmune. So you can kind of take what you want, leave what the, leave what doesn't sound, um, appropriate for your family. So we didn't do a lot of the way. Um, so we didn't do a lot of the dairy stuff that they Mm -hmm. recommend. But um, I love it as like just a base. And it's all about like, these are the most nutrient dense foods for your kid. And this is why your kid will benefit from this nutrient. And breast milk doesn't have enough of this nutrient. So you really should focus on this nutrient Mm -hmm. for your kid during these months. And you should introduce these foods six to eight you know, six to eight months. And then you should try these foods eight to 10. I love that book. It's like $10 on Amazon. Um, so that's what I base a lot of my early food choices on. So the first food she ever ate was like pureed beef liver, like a lot of our, um, paleo mamas out Mm -hmm. there, pureed beef liver with like breast milk and coconut oil. And, 
we did a lot of um, like root vegetables that were very like slowly cooked in bone broth. So they absorbed a lot of the bone broth nutrients, but they're super soft so they could mash it against their top palate. Um, a lot of fish eggs. So she's loves salty food. So we had to kind of limit her with the salt initially, but she would do a little teaspoon of fish eggs every day, which is a really awesome source of omega threes and vitamin D super important for babies, especially if you have low, uh, vitamin D risk in your family or autoimmune disease risk in your family. Low vitamin D status is linked to certain autoimmune diseases. And frankly, for anybody with autoimmune disease, you, if you have low vitamin D, you might be experiencing autoimmune symptoms because of the low vitamin D. It's a very important immune nutrient. So, um, yeah, if you guys are familiar with Weston A. Price, it's all about like vitamin A and K and D and animal fats. Um, certainly not a vegetarian or vegan diet for your baby at all. It's very heavily based on healing animal fats. So that's, and gosh, she still asks. She's funny. She asks for spoons of ghee to this day. She'll just go, ghee, ghee. And I bring out her little <laughs> bamboo adorable. spoon with, oh yeah. And she eats like, she'll eat tablespoons of ghee at a time. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And you have, don't you have a recipe? I'm going to link to it in the show notes too, but, um, we, I, I think you posted it and our babies are very close in age, but it was like a fat ball, like a sweet potato, like fat ball. Yeah. Oh my God. So I have a few, oh my God, you're going to want to link to my real food baby, how we introduce solids post. Cause It's like almost a book long. It's it's like the longest post I've ever written. It has all the foods we introduced at each um, month interval, as well as like the amount I would feed her, when I would feed her, um, which companies I trusted with her protein and her fats. Oh, perfect. um, Why we chose not to start with, you know, pure baby led weaning, why we did a mix of solids and purees. Mm how to, oh gosh, just from my OT backgrounds, like how to incorporate the pincer grasp at a fairly young age. And that is really important for dexterity and fine motor skills as they age. And then the recipe you're talking about is the, um, gosh, like sweet potato fat ball. So it's just yeah. sweet potato that's mashed and rolled with beef tallow. Oh and oh, she just loved that. You can just pick it up with her, um, her first three fingers there and mm-hmm. with her thumb. Those and that was such so a great good. way. Yeah, I, I liked them. Yeah. Oh, and then um, my paleo baby birthday smash cake. I forget oh, if there's yeah. like a lot of superlatives involved. But that cake is completely allergy-free, so it doesn't even have eggs in it. And the cake base, it's like a really cute little three-layer cake. And it um, is made with sweet potato and beef tallow and cinnamon and coconut oil and carob powder instead of chocolate since you don't want to give your kid caffeine. And the frosting is, uh, I think like some coconut cream and avocado and carob. And it is actually so delicious at her birthday party. Um, she was eating it, but then all my family members and friends were like, can we try that weird cake you made your kid? And they're like, this is really good. People are so surprised when healthy food is delicious. I know. (laughs) Like your weird sweet potato avocado cake. That sounds so good. I am definitely going to link to that because I'm sure people will be um, excited. We get questions about that all the time. We did, I mean, we did a very, not as amazing as yours, but, um, a healthier version, but it was, um, yeah, that would have been amazing had I known that. Damn yeah, it, why no don't you tell me about that? I know. Well, maybe I, yeah, I guess she, she's a little younger, so yeah. I could have told you. Um, um, yeah, no sweeteners. So yeah. if you're trying to keep your baby off sweeteners and grace now at 20 months, she's definitely had some sweeteners. Like we go and get, um, pot, like fruit popsicles from mm-hmm. this local place. And there's a sweetener free kale, apple, cucumber one that I usually 
order for her. But if she sees her dad eating like the sweetened, like tangerine one, then she definitely has a few bites. Yeah. Um, but yeah, once you turn the kids like sweet tooth on and obviously breast milk does that anyways, cause breast yeah. milk is like cozy sweet. They're like, you got to be careful with that. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> I've seen that with us. It's like, oh my goodness. Yeah. One little, it's like, and our family's always like, I just want to give her one little bite of whatever ice cream or whatever. And I'm like, no, like the answer is no. My dad is the worst. But if, if we do give her a little bit, because, you know, again, she's at that age where she's older and it's kind of hard to like hide any of that stuff, but it's like more, more like automatically, like, Oh my God, her eyes light up. You can see the like sugar receptors in her brain, just like firing. It's oh yeah. Crazy. I can't blame mom. Oh, yeah. I know. Cause it's delicious, but it's delicious. <laughs> Oh, do you want to, um, cause I know we're over an hour, but do yeah. you want to quickly talk about, um, when she's older? I get this question yes. all the time. Cause yes. it's like, well, what are you going to do when she's older? Like, how are you going to control her food? And they always use the word control, the C word. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to control her food because what I'm going to do is I'm going to attempt to do is, um, teach her the life skills that she needs to be able to discriminate between the foods that either bring her positive or negative health outcomes. So, right. um, what I used to do with my kids in clinic was, can you use words to describe how you're feeling? So if I had a kid with a certain behavioral disorder diagnosis and I was having a really hard time connecting with him, I can't connect with him if I'm not speaking his language essentially. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, can you tell me if you feel out of control? So that was one that I use a lot with kids is do you feel out of control? And for adults, it might be, do you feel anxious? But kids don't understand that. But Mm -hmm. kids will understand like, yeah, I don't feel like in control of my body. I feel like I have too much energy. Like, do you have too much energy? Does your tummy hurt? That kind of stuff. So um, using this language with them, like if they do eat something that you suspect is causing like a negative health outcome and being like, hey, like, tell me what you're feeling so that I know exactly what you're feeling and that you're able to identify what you're feeling. And then let's see if we can link that to the food, but without establishing a fear connection there. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's going to be the hardest part. I think is like, I don't want you to be afraid of gluten grace. Like I don't want you to be afraid of that. Like if you want to have pizza at your friend's eighth birthday party and I didn't show up with my paleo pizza in time, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm actually going to do that. (laughs) That's like a pipe dream where I show up with like her own pizza and like a pizza box and everyone's like, I want some of that one. (laughs) I think, and then they're like, Oh, this is better than pizza hut. That probably happens. Um, yeah, I want her to be able to, she, she can't go through her whole life not yeah. eating gluten. So I want her to be able to at least recognize, like, if it does make her not feel great, then know that. And then in the future, try and make a different decision. But if you don't make a dis- different decision in the future, that's okay, too. Like, right. yeah, it's just a life skill that kids have to learn. And I wish I had <laughs> known about that a little earlier, especially with all of my issues as a child. I had a lot of health issues as a child, like chronic sinus infections and fungal infections and chronic constipation from it as young as being, you know, a few days old, honestly. Wow. And I just wish somebody would have been like, Hey, maybe it's the food you're eating. Yeah. It never occurred. Never occurred to them. And it's, I feel like the, the, you know, the tides are shifting to where more and more people are aware of how, how deeply food can impact you from day one, which is why establishing, and we had Megan Garcia on kind of like a, a food baby guru, those first, um, a thousand days are so important to establishing like a great foundation for like your gut. And so it is super important. And I, just to kind of comment on what you said with the whole fear thing, I, that resonates with me because bear, um, and he's older now, so we can have like actual conversations about it, but he, he went through from like, I want to say 18 months, two years ish to like 
right after Camille was born, he was having night terrors, something like, like true night terrors to where he was not awake, but very like screaming and wouldn't recognize us, would not like respond um, for like an hour every night. He was having those maybe like three or four times a week and we could not figure out what was going on. Now he's highly sensitive as it is. So there's a ton of things it could have been. And finally we narrowed it down to um, food dye. So he was getting um, some things at daycare that we were not packing with him, like some candies and like little treats and stuff um, pretty frequently at that point. And so we narrowed it down to like the days where he, when he would have that, he would have for sure a night terror like the next couple of days. Um, and so we have to be like kind of crazy about it. Um, and he doesn't, it doesn't really manifest itself as a night terror anymore. But his behavior will, I mean, it's just night and day. And so we have to be really careful about it. But it's also trying not to make him afraid of those foods, but telling him what's safe and why, like, if you eat this food, you will be upset or you will feel, you know, angry or whatever. Um, it's a thin line because, I mean, we've had times where he'd say, like, oh, I can't eat that. Like, I can't eat it. It makes me, it makes me have nightmares or whatever and it's like okay we don't want him to be afraid but mm -hmm. we do want him to make that decision when we're not there because ultimately you know at school we can't control everything that he eats so exactly yeah it is a thin line but you know what I mean it's just a skill that they're going to need mm -hmm. for the rest of their lives and just like oh my gosh like I make food decisions like on a weekly basis where I'm like nah this I may not feel the best after yeah. eating this like vegan blueberry loaf with like 50 grams of sugar, but <laughs> I want it right now. So okay. I'm going to, and yeah, I'm a little tired later in the day. Like yeah. we're going to do this our whole lives. It's kind of just a balancing act and just keeping it balanced, but still making sure that your health is staying balanced as well as your mental and physical health. Totally. Totally. Well, we had a few more questions, but I feel like we hit pretty much everything. Unless you see anything on the list you want to like really dive into. Oh, the last one. I know. <laughs> Like, do we want to go there? Oh, gosh, probably not. Okay, I'm sure everyone listening is like, oh, yes, I know exactly what topic you're you're referencing right now. I don't even know. Do I even want to mention it or do I want to keep everyone in suspense? Gosh. I don't know. But I get the questions all the time. And I will say, okay, let's just talk about it yeah. really quickly. Um, even though I don't like, I've never talked about this publicly, mm -hmm. is vaccinations. And the only thing I'm going to say about this is you you cannot ask like another mom, like, what should I do or what? what mm -hmm. do you think I should do? Or even like a doctor, like what should yeah. I do? Because you know what they're going to probably tell you is you have to really, really, really consider not just your genetics and your husband's genetics, but also environmental risk factors. If there's autoimmune disease that runs in your family, um, just even just other stresses in your, in life, like let's say you haven't cleaned up your household products or your skincare products or something like that. Even like you're still doing GMO foods. Like there's, if there's a lot of assault coming into a kid's body and then you're also adding vaccines on top of it, that can create a storm or the perfect storm yeah. for a vaccine reaction. And I'm saying that is a vaccine injured individual who may not have had to struggle for seven years with premature ovarian failure and a Hashimoto's diagnosis. If I hadn't been told that I had to get the Gardasil vaccine because I was a woman of a certain age. Mm -hmm. So that's like, I come from it from a place of experience with this. Yeah. Um, but there's also a way to go about it where you're still protecting your child and going about it with a really keen awareness of 
risk factors and ways to support your baby during vaccinations that you can come at it with a really, really loving perspective that doesn't have to be feel like you were pushed into something outside of your comfort zone. So I just want every parent to be really comfortable and confident with their vaccine decisions. And just like, if that's your decision, be comfortable and confident with it. Love yourself for it. Don't question yourself. Like we're, we go into the mom guilt thing, like either way, like you're doing what's best for your baby and you know what's best. Nobody else knows what's best. So Absolutely. there's definitely factors to consider. Um, I wouldn't go into it blindly and just go with your doctor's recommendation without considering other factors. But um did you read uh, Dr. Sears' vaccine book? Because I find it to be pretty unbiased and yeah. that I recommend. Yeah. So, and that's kind of the where we've got most of our background for our decision. I was going to ask you if you had any reading recommendations. Because again, it's like, we get we get this, both Laura and I get this question all the time. Like, what should we do about vaccinations? What are you guys doing? And it, it's it's a personal decision. And, you know, we haven't shared fully to the, to any extent, but it's, I don't feel like that's, that's like, it's Frank, that's going to come out rude, but it's really not anybody's business, um, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's one of those things where, like you said, like you just need to do the research. And when you make a decision, like feel very confident about it, which is why, you know, it's having resources. I think our goal on the podcast is just to present resources and empower people to kind of like really figure it out. So um, exactly. Yeah. Make it your decision, not yes. like grandma's decision or your doctor's decision. Like it is your decision as the parent of your child and yeah, be confident with it. And like, it, it was probably the one decision that has kept me up the most overnight and mm-hmm. that I just like toiled over, over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I finally had to be like, I'm not going to look at any more forums. I'm not going to look at any more Facebook groups. I'm just going to go with what my heart, my gut's telling me. Right. And that's what I did. And we've had so much success and I couldn't be happier with the decision I made. And is that the only book that you recommend or did you read anything else? That was- I read a few others that I, God, they're not even worth the mention. Okay. I just really found his to be the least biased. Like I really mm-hmm. appreciated how he came at his recommendations and he's not anti-vax by any means. Right. He came at things with like, no, this is a really important vaccination. Like this yeah. saves millions of people's lives a year. Right. So I really appreciated his, the way he went about it. Oh, let me talk about one more thing. Okay. So I know we're going super over, no, but you're fine. it's still on the subject is my doctor here. He's a holistic pediatrician and I know there's are not widely available everywhere, but, um, he actually has a nutritional protocol that he gives kids for the week prior to receiving their vaccinations Ooh, as well as amazing. spreading vaccinations out. So, um, certain nutrients that are really going to support the immune system. And they're in fairly high doses for a short period of time. So they're still safe. Um, And then his nutritional protocol, he's um, a vaccine specialist uh, with autism as well. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Is that his name? His name's Dr. Berger and it's spelled B-E-R-G-E-R. And he's written a lot. He's been published a lot. So you could even just Google Dr. Berger. Do you think that Um, nutritional protocol would be, like online somewhere or you know, I'm not sure. And it's probably so dependent on the kid's yeah. age and eat, but the nutrients that he does recommend that you could talk to your doctor about and definitely don't give, like I personally don't give my kids supplements without getting the okay mm-hmm. from my doctor. Um, but there are vitamin A, um, as well as K and then vitamin D in certain amounts, the vitamin A it's high dose, which can be dangerous if you do it long term. So you really have to work with a doctor on that. Yeah. Um, and then also certain um, immune, st- like herbs, certain herbs. Um, they're not mean immune stimulating herbs, but certain herbs in a tincture. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And then vitamin C as well is really important for the immune system. Awesome. 
Awesome. And then just supporting your kid with like using safer products. Like you said, Jess, I know you and I are both really into that. Um, keeping their environment as clean as possible. So if you can afford to get like organic mattresses and organic sheets and use safe cleaning products and safe detergents, like you're just decreasing their toxin load and letting the immune system chill out a little bit. So it's not constantly getting assaulted in our very toxic 2018 modern world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love it. I think that kind of wraps up everything really nicely. Um, and we, like I said, we probably could go in an hour more on some of these topics and just chat more about it. But thank you so much for being on here. So cheer with us just to kind of bring everything full circle, just your final thoughts on give us like Elena's life view (laughs) (laughs) in like two words or less. Oh, two words. Honestly, um, positivity and your ability to, to take a minute, like just one day at a time, gratitude, like everything people are saying about gratitude journaling is scientifically backed up and proven. If you can sit down at the end of your day and just even, you only have to write it down before you fall asleep. What are three good things that happened to me today? Every single time, it doesn't mean amaze me anymore, but every single time it's something to do with my daughter and an experience we had together or something that her, my husband and I did together. So it's pretty amazing. It kind of centers you around what's most important in your life and just gives you just the warm fuzzies. Like that's what's important. It's not going to the gym and eating a certain way or whatever it is that you think may be on your to-do list that day. It's actually those things that are providing you the most amount of meaning and purpose. And that's what should be your main driver. I love that. You're the best. Okay. So tell, tell us where we can find you. How can people connect with you if they want to just take part in, in your journey with you? Where can we find you? So my website is grazedandenthused.com and I share probably about one new recipe a week and sometimes some articles on baby stuff. And you can find me on Instagram. That's the social media platform I'm definitely most active on, especially on Instagram stories. That is just instagram.com slash grazedandenthused and then same with Facebook. And that's about it. I cannot tolerate any more social media (laughs) other than that. (laughs) I feel the same way. I'm like at my social media limit. So um, thank you again for being on here. And we just love you so much at the Modern Mamas podcast. And let's see, what do I have to do right now? I have to wrap this up. Okay, so rate and review us on iTunes if you feel so inclined. We're the Modern Mamas podcast. Um, You can find us at laura.radicalroots on Instagram and at just.holdthespace. Um, we also have the Modern Mamas Tribe on Facebook if you guys want to get connected with other mamas that are in a similar uh, similar mindset. And so those are the places we're most active. If you do, please do. Always, we love this very much. Email us with questions or ideas for topics at modernmamaspodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, that's about it. Thanks so much for being here, um, Elena, and sharing your, your story. You're welcome. Have a good day, guys. <laughs> Bye. Hey guys, Jess here. Just wanted to give you a heads up on a great deal that we don't want you to miss out on. Laura and I have recently teamed up with our friends at ButcherBox to bring you an amazing offer on premium grass-fed, hormone, and antibiotic-free meats delivered right to your door. We've absolutely been loving the opportunity to put together our own custom boxes of the highest quality beef, pork, and chicken. And we definitely don't want you guys to miss out on the chance to try it too. Right now, if you visit butcherbox.com forward slash modern mamas, you get the chance to get $10 off of your first box plus two free 10-ounce grass-fed ribeyes. You definitely don't want to miss out on this deal, friends, so get on it.